Thank you very much. Um, we still have a couple things to do before we get to the message. Um, this last week on Wednesday and Thursday, we had our big Thanksgiving project, where I believe I heard the number was about 1,100 meals that we were able to serve and pack up and give out. So we give a hand for that. We had so many people come and volunteer their time and volunteer their money and just really show the heart of Jesus around this city. So I just wanted to thank you guys for that. And we wanted to hear a short testimony um, of what God did. So Bubba and Debbie, would you come up real quick and just share your heart? Now, we went to five houses. Had, um, you know, pretty good. We went all around the Mason Berlupo area, and it was a real blessing for us. Um, we were able to actually pray with everybody. Um, when I've been before. We've never had that opportunity to actually pray for every single person. Some people would turn you know, say no, or maybe not so. They didn't want prayer, but we did pray with them. And I think the most amazing thing to me was that as we were praying, you could feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. It was like joy was swirling around us at each of the houses that we were at. And some, and we had one little woman. I mean, she just went crazy for Jesus. I mean, she was cute as she could be, and she was on a walker. Um, but she was so grateful. She was alone. Her family couldn't come this year, and she was alone. But she just loved the Lord, and she was our first house. So that just kind of set the tone for what was going to happen from that point on. And we also went to a Vietnam vet, and he was in a wheelchair. And um, this gentleman had sores all over his body. Um, he, um, he just had the joy of the Lord in him, too. I mean, he just shared with us. And when we asked him, could we pray, what could we pray for, he actually didn't ask us to pray for his health, which really surprised me. He didn't want prayer for what was wrong with him. You know, and he was hurting. He, was, he had stuff coming out of his eyes. He was just in really bad physical condition. But what he wanted prayer for was he wanted to go home one more time to Hickory, North Carolina and see his family. He's been here um, sick for a long, long time, and he just got into his own home. And he wants to go see his family one more time before he goes to see Jesus. So that's what we pray for, is that he would get to go home to Hickory and see, G see his family. Because he wanted to tell them about Jesus. That's what he wanted to do. And that was just, it was exciting to me. And that's just a couple of the places that we went. And we were really blessed. As Debbie said, the, house, the first house we went to was a lady right by herself, no family. And she was a ball of fire for Jesus Christ. And uh, she was overwhelmed, Jerry, Karen, and all of you, were, that she was even going to get meals on wheels on Thanksgiving Day. She just couldn't believe it because she, she was there by herself, and she just did, did, couldn't believe it. We were so blessed. I call it double blessings when I go. If they get one blessing, I get a double blessing everywhere I go when I visit. But our family came. We uh, had so much a blessing on the five visits that we went to. And for our lunch at home, our 
we went and got my brother-in-law who is in a home that has parking disease. And I shared that with you as one couple that we went to when we rang the doorbell, the lady came out and she said, I don't really want you to see my husband. He fell this morning, he's parking disease. And he fell about six o'clock this morning and I had to call his brother to come and help me get him up off the floor. But it's such a true blessing to go to people's houses and visit, carry them food or whatever. And if you have a, a feeling of not going, let me share one thing with you. Jesus Christ has already there. He'll take care of you no matter what home you go into. If I've got another minute to share, Matthew, I, got another, I want to share something that happened that Debbie and I two years ago. We, the last house we went to, the lady was not at home. And it was a sort of a unit type of thing. It had a second floor on it. And one man side of the railing and we asked them did they like the, the dunners they said no we're both cooking our dunner so Debbie and I went downstairs and went out the parking lot to leave and this man was coming way off over at the end of the parking lot and we waited for him and we we talked to him and Debbie said, can we pray with you? And we will want to give you this package of lunches for, the, for dinner and supper. I call it dinner and supper. Y'all might call it lunch and dinner. <laughs> and he said he didn't have nothing. He would be glad to take it. And Debbie prayed for him. And we left. And the man upstairs was out on the balcony. And as Debbie and I was getting in our car, he said that was the most wonderful scene I've ever seen on Thanksgiving Day for what y'all did to that man out there in the parking lot. So God will bless you. Don't get scared about going places. Jesus is already there. He'll take care of you. Thank you. Thank you both very much. If you guys have your bulletins, if you want to grab those out, we've got one more thing to do. Mrs. Anderson, do you want to run up just real quick and talk about Shop with a Mission? Well, there's an opportunity to bless some missionaries this coming Saturday. We're having Shop with a Mission in the Fellowship Hall from 2 to 4. Uh, we have 20 people that have signed up to bring different crafts and baked goods. So please come. We'll have um, uh, cookies and tea and think some Christmas carols. It'll just be a really nice day. If, if you are wanting to bring your things to sell, you've already probably signed up, we'll be opening up at 10 so that you can get in for setup. Thanks so much. Thank you. <clears throat> All right, I got a few more things. Next Sunday, um, December 6th, 
6th, the Boy Scouts are having a pancake fundraiser. Um, I would encourage you to come out and support them um, next week. Boy Scouts change lives all over America. I've seen them do some incredible things, and so if you can do that, um, please be there. There's a $5 donation, and that will go a long way to help them. Um, December 8th, we have a church-wide um, crazy sweater party. I would encourage all of you, if you can come, dust off the old sweaters, bring them out because they're in style for one night only, and bring those out, and we're going to just have fun. We're going to skate. We're just going to have fun as a church, and so we'd love everybody to be there, and that is December 8th. Um, the teenagers are having a lunch on December 10th at 12 in the fellowship hall. Um, I'm actually going to that, so I'm very excited about that. I got an email, and I'm excited to go and hang out with you, and so please be there for that. And then Christmas night of worship, join us on December 13th for an incredible night of worship to just really honor and just give Jesus all that he is worth for his birth and for him coming. So please join us um, this season. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. You know, I didn't know that uh, Bubba was going to get up here and share. Um, I love Bubba Clark. He's kind of a, a uh, hero around here, isn't he? Let's give him one more hand. You know, as I saw him up here, I could probably almost tie up my whole sermon with the way Bubba's living right now. I really could. Um, you know, Bubba has recently um, lost his precious pearl, his wife. And Bubba, instead of um, fixing on the past and what he's lost, Bubba continuously, every day, is making choices to get up and get out of his, the zone that we get into as people and advance the kingdom on the earth. I, as much as anyone in this church, Bubba is out carrying the gospel and doing the stuff when he has an excuse probably as much or bigger than any of us to sit by and do nothing. Bubba, we love you. We're in the middle of, uh, um, Pastor Steve's had a number of weeks that he's been working on, and I'm going to do a two-week mini-series uh, called In Between. And I was reflecting and praying on Advent beginning and sweet Mary uh, in the Bible and what it must have been like to have the angel Gabriel show up and tell her that you're going to give birth to this Messiah and then a number of months pass, and she carries the baby Jesus, and the misunderstanding, and the difficulty, and even the false accusations that must have happened in her life. I began to just think of my own life, the, the, the time that exists between when God promises you something or delivers you from one place, and He's taking you to another place. And there's this, this sort of span of, of time and space that exists in this in-between section that for me is extraordinarily difficult. You've been released over here from something. We're going to use the picture of the Israelites in the Old Testament. We're heading towards Exodus 16. But you've been, you've been released from something and you're heading to a promise, but you're not quite there. And there's this painful uh, sort of place that, that can exist in that intermediary time. And it's in that time that I think we as people are most tempted to get stuck looking back. I know what I was saying about Bubba. He is choosing 
to move forward. He is choosing to celebrate. And we know that Pearl is up there in that cloud of witnesses cheering him on. And she is going to welcome him into glory one day. But until that day, he is being faithful, advancing the gospel here. It's so easy in this, this, this time and space that exists between what you've been delivered from and before God takes you into the promised land to get stuck looking back. You know, it was a number of years ago, but um, we have a, Abby and I um, have a little girl who has type 1 diabetes. Chronic illness, she wears a little insulin pump on her waist. And when she first got diagnosed, she was 18 months old. Teeny, teeny little thing. Um, when she was a little girl, she was small. And when, after we had gotten out of the hospital, um, I had to begin to give Eve uh, shots, insulin shots, in the arms or in the legs. And Eve being so little, I would have to sit in a chair and, and I'd have to put her legs between mine and wrap my legs around her and then like bear hug her and then uh, inject her arm or her leg with this um, needle. And she would cry. And I would cry. And if I did everything right, I would only have to give her four shots a day. But most of the time I didn't do everything right and I ended up having to give her five or six. And there, there were these times where I would, I would be holding her and I'd give her the shot and she would uh, wiggle. She, she'd get away from me or you know, her little arm or her little hand would slip away and the needle would wiggle in her arm and then all of a sudden her little arm's bleeding. And I'm just, I'm like immobilized. Like I can't move. Breath's taken away. I'm just at the end, sort of at my wit's end. And it was, it was in that time and space where it was one of the first times in my life where I just wanted to go back. I was like, I can't go forward. I can't do this four or five times a day to my little 18-month-old girl who has no idea what I'm doing except Daddy's hurting me. That's all she knows. I just wanted to go back. I wanted to go back just to two or three weeks ago even to when she didn't have diabetes. And there's something that, that, that happens when you're released from something or when something like that happens, but before you enter into this promised place that God is taking you. And for me, it was like almost I got stuck there for a season. I didn't know how to live. I did not know how to move forward. And you know, many of us come today to church, and if we're honest, we probably have spots in our life where we feel immobilized, where we feel stuck, where we feel like, and we're, we find ourselves gazing back at what was, or wishing something that happened didn't happen. You know, you might be here today and you look back fondly on something. Maybe you look back fondly on a certain time in your life, an anniversary or a celebration, the birth of a child. Maybe you look back with great anguish at a time when you were hurt or abused. Maybe you've been through a divorce. Maybe you've lost a child or a parent. 
you know, we all sort of get stuck and can get stuck in that space between looking back. You know, as a church, I think we often look back at what we might even call the good old days with Horace, right? We love Horace Hilton around here. He's one of our heroes, one of my heroes. And yet, if we're not careful, all of a sudden we're gazing back to what was. And the challenge, I think, that's before us is how do we live in this moment? How do we live our lives as people moving forward and not sort of getting stuck on the past? You guys with me? You following me? Almost all of us, if we were totally authentic, if we really opened up our hearts, identify at some level with something that we can't change, something we can't go back and fix, something that, that is, it just it causes us pain and anguish. You know, it's funny, I even look back and say funny things. We were getting gas the other day, I was with my kids, and I said, I remember when gas was 99 cents a gallon. And the moment it rolled out of my mouth, I remember my parents saying, we remember when gas was 35 cents a gallon. And then I remember my grandparents saying, we remember when gas was 17 and 25 cents a gallon, you know. And it's just like we, we, we remember back. And I want us to take a look this morning at Exodus 16, if you'll turn there. And I want us to look at the Israelites in, in an area where they got um, stuck looking back and their looking back almost caused them to miss God in the present. And that's really what I'm sort of moving towards today, is it's so wonderful to honor the past, but how do we honor the past? How do we learn from the past? How do we celebrate the past and yet courageously choose to move towards the promised land that God has called us to? It's a hard question. So I'm going to start reading in verse... Uh, chapter 16, verse 1. And as we do this, I just want you to even think of what Pastor Steve's been preaching about. What God said versus what God is saying. You know, that's different. This is what God said, the Word. It is active and it's alive and it becomes the bedrock of our life and the foundation. And yet, God speaks and whispers to our hearts even today. And that is active. That is now. That's Hebrews 4 that says, Today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. So chapter 16, Exodus 16, chapter 1, here we go. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, and on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. Now let's just pause there a minute and kind of reflect. So the Israelites have just come out of Egypt, right? Think with me. A few days prior, they were in Egypt, and they got to witness the greatest uh, miracles that probably the world has ever seen, the plagues of Egypt that came upon Pharaoh, right? They saw these crazy things happen. And then they're on there, Pharaoh finally delivers them or releases them, God delivers them, and they go up to the Red Sea, and what happens? It parts. Red Sea parts. The people walk through. I don't know about you, but if I walk through an ocean on dry land, that is craziness. I think it would mark you, wouldn't it? They'd just come through in the previous chapter where there was no water and they began to grumble about water and it was bitter. There's a pool of bitter water and Moses takes and he throws a piece of wood in and the water becomes sweet. They've just seen 
Pharaoh's army destroyed instead of it destroying them. They've just been delivered from slavery. 430 years. And so here we are in chapter 16. Let's go on with verse 2. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Is it not so easy to become a grumbler? I find myself being a grumbler once in a while. In our house, we call it grumping. Are you grumping this morning? But it's so easy to become a grumbler. It's so easy to become a, someone who's fussing about your leaders. Jim, Steve, Michael, Session, our president, President Obama, America, the choices everyone's making. You guys following me? It, it is so easy to, to park and become a grumbler. And then now, let's look, let's look at verse 3. This is really fascinating to me because it's what I would call we're about to see a negative nostalgia happen here in verse 3. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. We're getting a little dramatic here, aren't we? Oh my goodness, we're going to starve to death. And then, what's amazing to me, is all of a sudden they're looking back at what were they in? Slavery, right? And all of a sudden, oh, we had so much to eat, and the meat in Egypt was so good. I liked mine medium rare. You were in slavery! And yet, they have this negative nostalgia and all of a sudden, all the good things or all the bad things sort of fall away and they fixate on this one thing and they're going, oh my goodness, God has brought us out here in the desert to die. And I get that. Anybody ever camped in the, in the sand? Anybody camped at Masonboro Island? I know a few of you have. I mean, you know, after day two of camping in the sand, you're about done with it. At least I am. You know, it's in your sandwich, it's in your tent, it's in your hair if you have hair. It's everywhere. And you're like, I'm so over this. I've got to go home and got to get cleaned up. The Israelites are living in the dusty, sandy desert and they're over it. They're grumping. But all of a sudden, they're looking back at this slavery going, we had it so good. You almost want to shake them and go, no, you didn't. What are you talking about? You were in slavery. And look at the beautiful things, the miraculous things, the awe-inspiring things that God has done to bring you out parted the Red Sea. He did all these miracles. He continues to feed you. He is being faithful. And yet, they lose faith. Man, that's me. I start grumbling. I start looking at what God is not doing instead of what God is doing. Start fussing about the people over me. Start fussing about the people around me. Come on, we do that, don't we? Some of you are smiling at me. You know you do it. It's sad that instead of, of, of sort of believing and knowing that God is good and He is going to see this to the end, even if it doesn't feel good at the moment, we start to grumble. Let's keep going. Verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. And in this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. 
I want to skip down to verse 11. It's interesting. I just want to point out as you uh, roll over to verse 11. Verse uh, 8, Moses kind of goes, Hey, by the way, Israelites, you're not grumbling against me and Aaron. You're grumbling against God. And I think that's something we often fail to see. I fail to see it as I'm, as I'm stuck in the in-between place between where, where I've been delivered from, where I'm headed to. I often want to blame my circumstances on everyone around me. Come on, you guys know what I'm talking about? I'm grumbling about Abby, or I'm grumbling about the kids, or I'm grumbling about someone around me. And it's God, isn't it? It's God. But Moses gets up and said, Hey guys, just remember, you're not grumbling against us. You're grumbling against the Lord. And down in verse 11, The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat. And in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. And each one is to gather as much as they need. Now, if you're like me, I think we often are at risk of missing what God is doing in the moment. Because either we're too busy grumbling or we're expecting God to do what he's already done. How many of you know God is not going to do what he's already done? His character is unchanging. His word is unchanging. Who he is will never change. But the way that he manifests himself and what he does in each generation will shift. And if we spend our time presuming that God is going to do what he's always done, we're going to miss him. So I imagine the Israelites that day sort of getting up, and I imagine some of them sitting around grumbling, and there's quail in the camp. And I imagine some of them not even getting that they could eat the quail. And then they came out of their tent that morning, and there's dew on the ground, and it's kind of crunchy, almost like frosted flakes was the way I envisioned it. You get out of your tent, crunch, 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 and they're like, what is it? And Moses has to get up and announce. It's bread. Eat it. How many of us are going through life and God provides something? Hope, sustenance, a window, a way out, a door, the next step. And we are so busy either grumbling or looking back that we can't see what he's doing now leading us to that promised land. You know, great theology and great understanding of God without a sensitivity to what He's doing now will get us nowhere. When you become fixated on the glory or the pain of the past, don't you hear this? I have a central point. Here it is. When you become fixated on the glory or the pain, how many of you all know we can get stuck in unforgiveness from our past? I've been there. Bitter, angry, disappointed, heartbroken. Oh my goodness, I'm stuck. Or when you get stuck in the glory of the past. It was so good back then. 
Everything was so good. We had wonderful meat to eat in Egypt. Or the wonderful things that God did. When you become fixated on the glory or the pain of the past, God is not free to bring His glory and His purpose into this present moment. Gazing too intently at the past can rob you of God's desired future because you're unable to participate with Him in bringing that future into a current reality. Let us, church, not get stuck gazing at the past. I was sitting out here um, about a month ago. I was taking a left-hand turn. Um, I have this old pickup truck. It's a 1978 pickup truck. Blah, 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 blah. It's a real rusty bucket of bolts, and the kids love it, and we love it. And we call it the pawpaw truck because my pawpaw had one, and Abby's pawpaw had one, so we call it the pawpaw truck. And I'm sitting out here, and um, my blinker's on, and there's a whole line of cars coming this way, and I'm trying to take a left turn into the Myrtle Grove parking lot, and I look up in my rearview mirror, and I see way back behind me, there's this girl, she looks young, and she's looking in her rearview mirror. And I keep looking, and she is still looking in her rearview mirror. And I keep looking... And she is still looking in her rearview mirror. And I start getting scared. I can't go anywhere. There's a ditch on the right-hand side. There's a line of cars on the left. I can't move. At the last minute, this girl looks up and swerves her car right into the ditch. Right into this ditch, right here. Have you ever tried to drive looking in the rearview mirror? A little scary. I was scared that day. She was okay. She was fine. She immediately got out of the car, and she had to have a tow truck come and pull her car out, but she was just fine. I was okay. Everyone was good. But you can't drive watching the rearview mirror, can you? A lot of us can get stuck gazing at the past instead of using the past as a springboard into the future. You know, I love um, surfing. Love to surf. I'm a thoroughly mediocre surfer. Nothing special. I have a buddy back here, James. I just saw him earlier, and I surf with James. He's a better surfer. I love watching him surf. And the thing about surfing is when you paddle into a wave, you pop up, you have to be totally engaged with where you are at the moment. Totally engaged where you are in that wave because the wave's changing and the face of the wave's shifting. I was just over at Masonboro a couple weeks ago surfing, and you're riding a wave, and you have to keep sort of one eye on where you are and one eye on where you're going. The moment you turn around and look at where you came from, you know what happens? I broke my fins off a board the other day because that's what I did. Dropped into a, I dropped into a wave at Masonboro. I'm looking, thinking I'm going to try to get a little barrel, and I stopped paying attention to what the wave was doing, looked back, <sighs> broke my fins. Church, God has called us into a beautiful, beautiful future. I say it all the time, and I'm going to keep saying it until it happens, but the best days of this church are not behind us. 
Forrest and Tenny are cheering us on to what God is taking us to. And this church, I believe, more than any other church, has the unique DNA to bring into this city a spirit-filled, um, yet safe within the confines of the word experience. This city needs that. There is space and room for that in our city. You see, when fear or regret, or when you gaze into the past, when fear or regret are the bedrock of your life, you're going to end up gazing back. When hope and faith are the bedrock of your life, you'll find yourself gazing forward. That's what I see in Bubba. He's going, I'm going to choose to have faith. I'm going to choose to have hope. I know good things are coming. and I'm going to get out and minister the gospel. I want to do two things here as we move towards closing. Let me start with this. I brought my Coke up here. How many of you guys like Coke? You know, Coke's um, fascinating to me because uh, their marketing campaign for years has been what? You know? Nostalgia. Always... Yeah, the real thing, but always, it's always nostalgia. It's always looking back. And it's been great for years, hasn't it? All of a sudden, in the last couple of years, Coke has, it might have even been the last year, they have changed their entire marketing thing, and it's all about living in the moment and moving forward. Abby and I took a photo the other, it's been a few months ago now, but it said soulmate on the can. We were like, ah, threw it up on our Instagram page. But Coca-Cola is fascinating to me because they've made this transition from, okay, we realize we can't just look backwards, we've got to move forwards. And it's painful, it's painful reality. It's like it, it, it is, it, it's just difficult. As I was preparing for this, I was studying 2 Timothy chapter 4, we're not going to go there. But Paul's talking in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and that was the last letter Paul wrote. He died shortly thereafter. And at the very end of his life, do you know what Paul's doing? He's encouraging and he's challenging his youngest disciple. Let me say it again. The last letter the Apostle Paul wrote, he's in Rome, he's about to die. You read it, 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'm about to be poured out like a drink offering, he says. He can't even see to write. Paul can't even see enough to write on the page. He's having to have someone transcribe his letter for him. And instead of looking backwards, at that moment, Paul could have been looking backwards, right? Going, man, it was so good when the Holy Spirit showed up at Pentecost. Man, it was so good when I planted churches over here and over there. And it was. He would have been right, wouldn't he? He would have been absolutely right. That's the thing. But instead of gazing back, he's going, okay, I'm going to call out the next generation, the younger generation. I'm going to challenge and I'm going to encourage my youngest disciple, my son in the Lord, what he called him, Timothy. Some of you might be sitting here. I've met and sat with some of you. People, members of our church, can't drive anymore. 
who can't see well anymore, who don't hear well anymore. Some of you even are frustrated because it's like, what do I do with the rest of my life? I love that Bubba got up here. There is a place. There is a spot. And church, here's the thing. I am convinced that if we can take the older generation, the younger generation, and we can bring ourselves together under a common vision and common purpose, that we will be unstoppable. There is a place for our older saints. If you can't get out of the house even, if you're sitting at home watching, you're going, my grandkids don't even pay attention to me anymore. You might be there. What if you, like Paul, went, maybe I can write a letter to encourage. Maybe I can step out and do something like Bubba. I might not even be able to leave my house. Maybe you can pick up the phone and encourage someone. See, it is so easy. It is so easy for all of us, no matter what age we are, to sort of become narcissistic and navel-gazing. You know what I'm talking about? Abby and I love Thanksgiving. I think it's our favorite holiday because it's one of the few holidays that isn't narcissistic. It's not about getting gifts. It's not about getting candy. It's not about... It's about being thankful. Love that holiday. I am convinced that we as a church can unify. We can come together And the best days are ahead. God has a promised land that he is taking us to as individuals. And he has a promised land that he is taking us to as a church. But here's what's going to require. Because we're on this, sort of the elephant in the room at Myrtle Grove right now. Can I use that language? Is we're not really pleasing our older members with the style of what we're doing. We're not totally pleasing our younger members with the style of what we're doing. We're calling all of us to come together and we're saying, let's sacrifice together because God has called us to something greater. It's not about what Michael wants or what you want. It's about what Jesus is doing in this house. And I get it if you look up here at me and go, Michael, you're preaching in tennis shoes and no socks. I don't know if we like that. you got skinny pants on. You're not wearing a tie. I, you know, I don't, it, it's okay. And it's even okay if we disagree a little bit on preferences. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what if we came together? What if we came together under a God-given vision and mission and we began to look outwards to change the history of what's going on in Wilmington, to change the climate I want to be honest with you, Myrtle Grove. I am still here at this church because I believe in us. I'm so grateful for who we were. I'm so grateful for Horace. I was sitting backstage three years ago. I was frustrated with where we were as a church. I'm being vulnerable. Just frustrated. I heard God say to me, I'm a landscaper by trade, and I heard God say to me, Michael, the aquifer Underneath this house is good. That's the, that's the body of water. Fresh drinking water. The aquifer is good. The wells that pipe the water to the surface are sucking sand. It means they're, they're, not, they're, they're not pumping right now. They're not working. 
dig new wells, but the foundation is in solid gold. I so believe in this house. I believe in who we are, and I believe in who God has called us to be, but if we cannot get off our preferences, if we cannot look at the past and go, it is good, and use it to spur us on towards the future, we are going to get out of our tents in the morning and crunch, crunch, crunch on that frosted flakes manna and totally miss what God's done. Totally miss what God is doing in our midst. I am willing to lay down my preferences in order to see King Jesus and the kingdom of God established in this city. But it is going to take us not walking out on a Sunday morning going, how was the sermon? His second point was weak. <laughs> he wasn't wearing a tie. He's looking a little balder today. He gained some weight over Thanksgiving. It's also going to take us walking out not going, was I happy with the worship? Was it too quiet? Was it too loud? Maybe we need to bring earplugs. I don't know. But if we cannot get past our differences and join together as a family and go, this is what God's called us to. This is who we are. This is what we're doing. This is what we're about. We are going to miss the presence and the move of God in the now. It happened back there. We all know it did, man. We celebrate these guys were the young bucks. Jim and Steve were 30 years old coming here under Horace and working. And you guys, a lot of you were part of making it what it was. God's doing something new. It's going to be beautiful if we can begin to lay down those preferences. If we can come together and go, you know what? It's worth laying down what I think I want in order to see this next generation rise up. I was thinking about my parents. We went to um, Disney World, uh, General Assembly. We went to Disney World, I guess, this past summer. And uh, my parents would never go to Disney World by themselves, ever. Why would you want to go stand in line in 100-degree Florida heat? Come on, can we just be that honest? Why would you want to spend a lot of money and go stand in 100-degree heat and, and, I don't know, ride a Peter Pan ride? I mean, I don't know. But you take my parents... And you put them there with Abby and I and their grandkids. I have never seen my dad have so much fun. It shocked the fire out of me. I mean, literally, I looked at my mom halfway through the day and I said, who is this guy? He was more excited about being at Disney World because he was running around with Steve and Michael. Grandparents, I want you to hear something. Parents, I want you to hear something. Come together, not because you love Disney World, but because you love your grandkids, you love your kids, you believe in them, and you believe what God is going to do in them. The greatest days of Myrtle Grove are ahead. Jim, will you throw that first slide up? I want you to consider a few areas. I'm not a big fan of coming here to preach, to entertain you. I'm a fan of you walking out of here and you engaging with Christ Jesus and you doing some heart work. Can I be honest? I want all of us engaging with Christ Jesus, interacting with Him and doing heart work. 
So here's what I want you walking out of here thinking about. Take a pencil in front of you and scribble it down if you need to. Number one, what areas of your life are you stuck gazing at the past? Where are you stuck? You might be stuck in unforgiveness. You might be stuck in anger. You might be stuck because something bad back here happened. Where are you stuck? You might be stuck because the glory days were back there and you don't ever think it's going to be that good again. Figure that out, number one. Jim, let's go to the next one. Number two, I want you to spend some time reflecting, journaling, and reorienting yourselves not to the past, but to the future. God is in the now. We honor the past, we embrace the now, and we move to the future. All right, Jim, next one. I want you to ask God three objectives for your life for this next year. And then I want you, instead of, join me, join me. I'll send you an email on these two. But I want you to join me, and instead of grumbling about what God's not doing in our house, maybe you grumble at session, maybe you grumble at Jim or Steve, maybe you don't like the younger generation and you grumble at me, I don't know. But begin to orient yourselves, not towards what God is not doing, but towards what God is doing. And you begin to get in touch with, in your journal, in your quiet place between you and Jesus, with what He's called you to do in this next year. And you begin to focus your time and your energy on it. That's what I started with. That's what Bubba's doing. He's out participating with Jesus and making the next move of God happen. That's the kind of people that build the kingdom. We celebrate Pearl's life. And then he's turned and said, Pearl, I'm going to meet you again one day. And in the meantime, I'm going to advance the kingdom right here. That's beautiful to me. That's heroic. That is awesome. Travis, are you in the house? I'm going to have Travis close us in a little song. And I want you to spend some time reflecting. This is a time to, I want to open up this, uh, the altar. If you need to come up here, and at some level, you might be young, you might be middle-aged, you might be older, and if God is calling you to lay down something, if God is calling you to shift your gaze off the past onto the future, now's the time. God has good things in store, no matter what age you are, no matter where you are in life. God has good things coming. Lord Jesus, here we are. Lord, we don't have all the answers. Lord, there's a whole lot of us who are stuck somewhere between being delivered from slavery and not yet into the promised land. Holy Spirit, we invite you to do business with our hearts this morning. We invite you to interact with us. We invite you to enliven us. We celebrate what you've done. We celebrate the miraculous things you've done in this house and through this house over the years. We embrace, Lord, that you're still working now. And I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would orient our hearts and orient our minds, not to the past. As we celebrate the Can 
out of this house comes such unity between the generations.
stuck in the pain or the agony of the past, Lord, would you bring freedom and courage to move forward? Lord, those of us who are stuck looking at the glory days of how wonderful the past was, Lord, would you encourage our hearts that the glory days are now and to come, that the past becomes a springboard. Great Jesus, would you minister to our hearts Lord, we celebrate you. We humbly submit our lives before you. We praise you, great Father. And would you commission us and release us as a unified body to change the spiritual climate of Wilmington and to change the spiritual climate of this city and change the course of history of Wilmington. Lord, would you use the likes of us? Lord, we praise you Thanksgiving weekend. And we praise you for Gary Cannon and the Thanksgiving project to come off of that huge success. God, we love you. In the great name of Jesus. There'll be some people up here who will pray with you if you need prayer, like to talk. Otherwise, have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday. We love you.